Hello there. Just before we get stuck into this week's episode of the podcast, please do consider pointing your eyes at patreon.com slash indiebydesign, where you can help support and improve our podcast, and maybe even bring to life a whole new one. We also have a bunch of patron backer rewards available, so check out patreon.com slash indiebydesign. Thanks for your support. Welcome to episode 13 of the Indie by Design podcast, the show about game design and game designers. In each weekly episode, we sit down with interesting people to talk about them, their work and their outlook on games. The Indie by Design podcast is brought to you by Stace Harmon and John Robertson. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube by searching Indie by Design. You can also visit us at IndieByDesign.net for books, podcasts and much more. This episode of the podcast is hosted by me, Stace Harmon, and features Ilari Kutanin and Mikhail Havari, the CEO and Head of Publishing, respectively, of veteran Finnish development studio, Housemark. Famed for its downloadable console games, including Super Stardust, Dead Nation, Alienation, and PS4 launch title Resogun, Housemark has made a name for itself, crafting precise, polished, technically accomplished, and visually striking titles in publishing partnership with Sony. With its latest title, Next Machina, launching for both PS4 and PC, Housemark is taking its first step into self-publishing. Working in collaboration with pioneering developer Eugene Jarvis, who created arcade classics such as Defender, Robotron 2084 and Smash TV, Next Machina represents both a refinement and evolution of Housemark's design principles, as well as an opportunity for the developer to directly benefit from establishing and retaining its own IP. We begin this week's hour-long chat with Michael Havari, explaining how the decision to self-publish has led to greater autonomy, the collaboration with Eugene Jarvis, and having a film crew follow the team around for the better part of three years. Mainly the agenda was that we could uh, do, a, do something a bit more self-reliantly, and we also wanted to work with Eugene from the very early on, so uh, we figured that uh, to, to get that chance, to fulfill that, uh, the, really the easiest or the only option would be to try to self-publish that. So it's it's been quite a journey. Um, we've had a movie crew here filming us for three years now, so I think uh, the, all the ups and downs of the journey will be quite well documented in the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, it's definitely something that uh, differs from a lot of the different... Um, when you have a strong partner supporting and and making sure that everything gets done in their way, um, there's a there's a lot less less loose ends. Yeah. <laughs> so I think now we're, you know, we're we're doing quite well, but still, self reliance is a is a funny thing. And it certainly it certainly was a business decision uh, as well that to have something else than uh, working for other other great partners we've been working mm-hmm. on working with over the years. So. So I guess that was this was a perfect opportunity and timing was right as well for us to try to pursue it. Then three years ago when we basically started this, so so all this combined uh, bring us to this moment when we are able to to launch new IP on on PlayStation 4 and PC. So it's in that sense super exciting. Yeah, so it's kind of it sounds like a mix of excitement and and a little bit of nervousness or trepidation just to see how everything plays out um 
One of the things you mentioned there was the, the documentary crew that's been following you guys around, and this is for the um, for the name of the game documentary. Is that right? Is that the yes. yeah? So how like because we know and we've seen people like the, the, probably the most notable one is Double Fine, who did their kind of documentary as part of their Kickstarter for Broken Age, um, and that was very well received. I wonder why was it kind of why did you guys feel it was the right time to do? A documentary. What is it that you kind of, I guess, you want the audience to get out of seeing you guys go through the uh, <laughs> the ups as well as the downs? Because it would be quite easy yeah. just to say, oh, you know, everything's wonderful and games just make themselves and all this kind of stuff. But clearly, that right. obviously doesn't happen. So, why are you kind of letting people in to see the uh, the tough just, side? Uh, we could have just pulled the veil on the on their eyes and and let them live in that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, the thing is, we actually didn't. We were contemplating on it. The main reason was that um, for us it's been a great opportunity to um, have Eugene involved in the project. And and uh, I think we wanted to document that to some extent, mm. even for ourselves, even if it would have been a home video that we just get to look back later on. Mm. And we didn't start off with, oh, here's a documentary, here's a budget, let's do that. But it more or less, um, we wanted to get some good behind-the-scenes footage. And um, we had a professional um, movie crew come in that uh, we were on friendly basis with, and they saw the opportunity there. So it's actually their project, mm. um, New Dawn Productions, that's doing it. So in the end, uh, we, we sort of signed off our liabilities and everything. <laughs> uh, we have some rights into what can be used in a movie, but not, not really too much of that, so... Yeah, I guess it started started uh, with this unique setup in mind, and then you know we bump on, bump up into into Eugene Jarvis during the dice ceremony mm-hmm. awards when Resogun was nominated as the best action game of the year, and Eugene got his uh, lifetime award there. So that was sort of a good story that when things started to align, that Eugene was. Was enthusiastically coming coming to to work with us and uh, be part of the project. So so it just felt that we have some nice story to be told and um, and you know we wanted to highlight Eugene's as well because quite a few games are have lots in depth to this guy. You know the mm. guy started to be a pioneer things like uh, you know twisting shooting or things like that. So that's. That's really great opportunity, and it, in the end, it's it's I think well we will we don't know how the story ends right, right? <laughs> so it will take another week or so to wrap it up uh, to probably finalize it to do our you know release party. Yeah. So, so is that are you guys kind of uh, were the final sort of things to be shot for the documentary? Will that be kind of your reactions to that that first week of next machina or like review scores and stuff is that are you kind of yeah. capturing that side the, of it as well the film crew is over here right now um i think they'll be filming for the next 24 hours you know mm. and then uh, we have a launch party uh a week from now wednesday uh and that should be about it from from our behalf at mm-hmm. least 
Cool. I mean, that's, there's a, a few things um, that you mentioned there. Obviously, one of those is that you're collaborating with Eugene Jarvis. And as you mentioned, he's a big kind of arcade shooter, twin stick shooter pioneer and with titles like Robotron and Defender and, and Smash TV as well. And it seems it does seem like a in retrospect, it seems like an obvious fit for you guys to be working with somebody like that because of your history. And, and you have a real you make what feels like kind of very pure kind of shooter experiences they're very focused on what it is they're trying to achieve and what they give the player um i wondered like how much was the this collaboration with eugene jarvis how much kind of um how much back and forth discussion have you been able to have with him in terms of his ideas your ideas kind of where's the um i guess where's the sort of balance is it like a every six weeks you have a skype call with him and show him the latest build or kind of what's the sort of dynamic been with with working with him from the beginning it was very open that we didn't really have a agenda we didn't really know what it was going to be like so uh basically we you know we went to chicago hung around with him got some dinner and drinks and i just started thinking about it and it really, especially at the beginning of the creative process, it was a lot of back and forth mm-hmm. where we came up with like, okay, what should we do? What's the what's the genre? What's the thing? How do we what's the core of the game? And so on. Um, and it was basically our ideas being using him as a sounding board. Like, what do you think mm-hmm. about this? Mm-hmm. Or how do you think we do that? And as that progressed, uh, we got into um, a phase where the the Interaction was still very similar, but it was more about, okay, so we have these voxels interacting here that way. How do you like the, the visual feedback? How do you like these things, uh, you know? And that, then you'd go into details like it would be cool if the, the voxels um, have this kind of gravity and, and blow up in that way and, mm. you know, into more detailed stuff. But as the game gets closer and closer to being done, which it is now, um, it really, uh, there wasn't really a need, because it's, it's a lot of that polish that we do over here, so in the end, it's it's from um, our lead, lead game designer, Harry Kruger's mind, who then had sort of this uh, a protege type of uh, relationship mm-hmm. with Eugene, if you will, um, but again, the beginning was quite intense, and then uh, as it goes on, um, realistic things take over yeah and that i mean you mentioned there about things like the the visual feedback and things like that i think what i what i've really enjoyed i've, I've only spent you know a couple of days playing next machina now but what i've really enjoyed um is the and this is this is perhaps an odd comparison but it it reminds me a bit of there's a part in kind of in open world games or in like the Legend of Zelda games where you first go out into the field, Hyrule Field, for the first time. And there's all these possibilities. There's all these, oh, okay, so I could go head over there and there's all these little kind of telltale signs of things that you can explore. And finishing the first level for the first time on Next Machina and having this list of things come up on the score sheet and it hints at all these little things that there are that, you know, the first time I played it, I just missed basically everything. So there's secret humans and there's disruptors to be killed and beacons to be destroyed and maximum chain. And there's all these little things that suggest that the game is really quite deep. 
And I mean, that's that. Firstly, that's just like an, an awesome thing. That's a really exciting thing to think. Okay, I'll go back, and that will affect the way that I play the game. Um, but then that feeds into things like the visual feedback, like you were talking about. That so if you're shooting a particular thing then you've got these different little coloured sparks that come coming off it to suggest that there's a secret exit if you blow up this block or whatever it might be so that kind of like how how much refinement how much iteration um does goes on creating all those extra little layers all those extra little bits of additional content so it's not just you can go through this and try and get the highest score it's that you can go through this so there's all these extra things to find like how how much iteration and kind of refinement goes into that process of of building all the layers in the game well i guess it's been a quite quite a big part as we feel that we've been sort of innovating this part as well that how how you can build up those interesting layers to especially for the for the more and more advanced gamers that they can find new stuff there mm. find new things that they can achieve you know maintaining the combo and collecting like like now, now collecting human human combo for instance or finding the secret exit to a secret level so we feel that we've been we've been kind of a Doing doing a lot of lot of work. That was certainly the original goal. We we have the similar thing going on with Resogun. In fact, a few years mm-hmm. earlier, and well, obviously all the previous previous games as well. I think uh, we've been now do, have been doing that, that for quite a, quite a few years, and and it's interesting to see that I think uh, quite a few people are missing those in the end. Obviously, they see that mm-hmm. oh, this is a simple shoot 'em up. I'm not kind of a, there's no challenge, right? So, <laughs> so, uh, so, but that, that's what we've been doing, trying to educate also the markets that, hey, there are new and new generations of players coming in and they probably haven't played this kind of a game, games, uh, even before. For instance, uh, I feel that, uh, Resogun was played by quite a few new, new players of the genre. So we've been trying to do that, mm. kind of a, carrying the torch forward. And try to show people that how kind of uh, gratifying and and stimulating these kind of games could be. There's a there's a thing to be said about the the mystery of that is that not everything needs to be too directly communicated, and that's that's an art in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very much reminiscent of those older titles where handholding was a luxury, really. And uh, I think we take pride in uh, putting a lot of polish into how that is communicated. And it, it might actually seem a bit uh, maybe hostile to some players who are, you know, used to a system where you have all the information that you might need. But we, we really see the value in players discovering that for themselves. And we try to create an experience around that. And uh, I think... With even the cost of uh, maybe maybe not being able to do CGI transition movies and in uh, uh, in depth dialogue driven uh, you know type stuff. So I, I think that again it comes with the culture. Um, I think we're always testing our limits and seeing what we can do. But this is something that, like Yelena said, at least we do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, this and this is the thing that I, I've. Been playing Next Machina. I've also played a lot of Resogun. I've played a lot of Alien Nation and Dead Nation, and and for, much further back, um, Stardust as well. And it, I think the 
it always feels like there's kind of certain threads, there's certain bits of DNA from your games that you can see this thread from one to the other. And I wonder like how much how much of that for you guys when you're designing a new title, how much of that is a like a deliberate thing to retain certain bits of DNA? And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's features, but just I mean, it might even be how a particular thing explodes or like how the voice comes out of the controller, all these all these small things. But how much is there like a deliberate drive to retain certain things from one title to the next? And how much of it is just kind of an, a natural progression that you you take those things with you as you as you make each new game? The one thing that we constantly now, well, consciously now really do take from one game to another is the, the female voice. Uh, so that's a very deliberate, central part, uh, common theme in, in a lot of our games that didn't used to be as much. But um, other than that, I think a lot of those things carry over. Um, I've seen some some of the uh, you know developers here have their own Easter eggs and insights of the kind of things they want to do in the Housemark universe and this continuity. But uh, there might be even things that I'm not aware of that um, are in this this way, they're represented this way. Um, maybe players might pick up on. <clears throat> yeah, I guess everything has has been developed through trial and error, and and what works that we have tried to try to maintain. Obviously, you mentioned this quite variety of sort of bit different kind of a games in in a sense. Mm-hmm. So they're shoot 'em ups. Uh, like top down, like Dead Nation, Alienation, have a different vibe. Obviously, that with Nex or or Resogun. Uh, <clears throat> so, mm. but they have obviously this thing in common that you you need obviously keys that the controls are very tight. That the uh, you know players shouldn't feel that the the game is unfair, but it's just their fault that they fucked up. <laughs> and uh, so so it's it's like infuriating for some that oh man I can't you know even get get through this game with the harder difficulty. Um, mm. That means that you just aren't good enough <laughs> to play yeah. the game. But <laughs> but I think that the hardest part for us is get get people to enjoy it, no matter how the how the level of uh, gaming experience is is, and that actually is is not possible in in a game like that if you truly mean that. So you need to have some some basic skills and, and the difficult things. Thing. Thing. Those yeah. are things that carry over. Yeah. And mm. it's becoming like a house star, house mark standard of of things to to remember to to kind of put into the next titles and so on. Yeah, an explosion, as you mentioned, <laughs> effect. That, that's obviously our trademark yeah. in any game. So so that's we we, we take pride that we are you we, know, we should among, make another, among the best. We should the make best another snowboarding here. game and just put it full of explosions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like, somebody was watching over the weekend, somebody was watching me play Next Machina, and uh, they'd been watching for a little while, and then this particular thing happened, and they said, oh, wow, that's like, that's a really cool visual effect. What just happened? And I said, yeah, I died. That's, that's, just, <laughs> that's what just happened. But you explode in this really pretty sort of pink laser beams, and it's like, oh, yeah, that looks, it looks nice. I feel a bit better about dying, I guess. But, well, yeah. So there you go. That's, again, when, when, when you're limited in... in overall scope of what kind of feedback and how you make the player feel, yeah, the death, that sh- should not be rewarding, but it still should have some kind of a 
uh, you know, feeling to it, and well, I guess rewarding and visually in this sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Visual rewards certainly is something something that we want want to give the player so he can understand that okay, how how well he's doing. So if everything is exploding around the player, we will see the player is doing pretty well. <laughs> and it's it also has that really interesting balance, difficulty balance, where the better you're doing. The not the easier the game is, but the or I suppose actually it's more the other way around. The worse that you're doing, the harder the game becomes because you start losing some of your power ups, and then particularly if you have to use a continue, then you you just start from from scratch. And that's there's like a real. I think for some people it would almost be that's counterintuitive. Like some people would look at that and say, well, it surely should be the worse you're doing, the easier the game gets, not not the other way around. But that's clearly a very deliberate thing very deliberate decision that you guys make and so like again where does that kind of come from is that part of what you see as being the sort of housemark style it's uh if you look at a lot of games in the past i think there's you know currently it is counterintuitive but i think that it didn't used to be Mm. um i think it caters to this uh, score hunting mentality that um you're still able to understand your skill so it it does cater to a lot of players that know that they maybe they don't die all the time, but then they it's more about the risk and reward after that. Mm-hmm. So how you're able to refine your play styles once you start getting a bit better, and then it's about how do I do I take this risk of getting all these humans now, or do I skip getting other humans and still try to maintain my arsenal of weapons I've collected? So I think mm-hmm. those are those are the kind of uh, things. Yeah, and, and I think in, in this particular case it makes, um, I guess we are not so harsh that we strip away everything. I think we. But continues, you lose everything. Yeah. We continues, yes, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, but uh, but, but just just when you die, you, you just lose one one token. That's right. There's that's quite right. A, one one kind of upgrade, and then uh, as you know, there's plenty of uh, things to pick up during the mm. game. So. So yeah, and you can also often yeah. you can often get that thing back, or you can get that thing, or or something, one of your items anyway. Right. Perhaps you can get that back. Um, and so it has that kind of you know it's it's a mechanic that I guess Dark Souls is always sort of the, the example that is is brought out to show how death has been made a part of the actual game rather than just a um, kind of rather than just a fail state. It's like this is death is actually part of this game, and I feel like that's a very similar case for well, um, it is for called the, as well. It is called the death machine, <laughs> right? So <laughs> yes, it's probably there's a few clues there. Yeah, I guess it's not going to be all light and fluffy, and also death is going to play quite a big part. I think that's uh, yeah an interesting interesting point. Um, so just before we move on to talk a little bit more about House Mark in general, one of the very specific features that I wanted to talk about in Next Machina is the multiplier system. And that, I feel like the multiplier system in your games is a, is a very key part of the titles because, of course, they are very much geared towards score attack. And so that's a real, how that multiplier system behaves is a real key thing for the, the feel of the overall game. Do you feel, because like in Dead Nation, I always felt like, and this this mostly because I was rubbish, I felt that that it was really punishing. Like, you start to get hit and your multiplier just hits the floor in no time at all. And then in that that sort of has evolved over the different titles. But is that, in particular, the multiplier system, is that something that you guys 
have been kind of evolving over your games? Or do you think that the multiply system in each game works as well as it could do for that particular game? I think we do a lot of testing, and, and it's very game-specific um, and genre-specific. Um, you know, with Resogun, you can see a lot of clear similarities there. Mm, and, like, mm. with Alienation, um, you had to really uh, kind of tweak the system to to cater to that uh, gameplay style and genre. So there's a lot of, again, housemark things that we put on the first prototype list and try out. But then we, we have a very iterative process of where we start taking it to. And um, it, it's, it's funny how it goes back and forth. And there's a huge amount of variations that we do test out. Um, you know, the people playing the alpha and the beta can probably um, answer to this. But they, there's been a lot of things that the, we've, we've tried out. And mm. then uh, certain things make more sense. Um, so... For example, the human combo thing um, mm. was something that we had in the first alpha, but uh, not until the last hours of the alpha did people find out about it because we didn't have HUD elements catering to that. Okay. So it's it's funny how they picked up on it, and there was this resurgence of of crazy scores coming in because <laughs> the the community started talking to each other and so on. Mm. Yeah, definitely, it's it's very game-specific, I'd say. I mean, that's another thing, that the human combo system that you mentioned there, and, and for people listening who haven't um, either noticed that or haven't picked, uh, won't have picked the game up yet by the time this, this podcast episode goes out, it's done on, like, a, a timer basis. So you pick up, you save a human, and then a timer starts, um, just a bar rather than a numerical timer, but a bar starts... Uh, going from from full to empty and if you pick up another human in the time before it runs out then your combo is continued that what that said to me quite um quite loudly i guess was that there it points at a certain way of playing because you can start the the each um kind of room or each self-contained uh, kind of sub-level and you can just run around and pick up all the humans as quickly as possible just so that they're safe and then that is done and you can focus on surviving but then by the time you get to the next area, your combo is probably going to have run out because you've picked them all up too soon. So it kind of hints, at, again, at just a, a different way to play and, and suggests that there might be, maybe there's some strategy in pacing them out and not picking them all up at once. For you yeah. guys designing that fr from the other side, like fr from the design side rather than the player side, is that, again, is that something that you test a lot, that you, you toy with a lot to 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 kind of work out the exact time that you should give players, or is it quite sort of quite intuitive and it just it just works relatively? If it, if it works if it works relatively easier, then I think it might be a bigger potential problem because we overanalyze everything. Okay. Of it. I think most of the polish really goes into making that whole experience very fluid and and comfortable, and I think that. Um, our, our lead game designer, uh, Harry, especially, takes a lot of pride into understanding the nuances of the process. Um, but, yeah, if something works on the first try, uh, it can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I doubt. Yeah, I think it's just um, we try. Obviously, we, we gathered quite a lot of data, data now during these uh, test, test runs and betas and mm. so forth. So uh, we could... Uh, 
we know we would know that how people are playing and you know some of the top players are are doing so. So that gives us gives us a good good kind of benchmark how we should pace it and so forth. Mm. So so at least in this time we definitely had quite a lot of outside you know uh, input as well in the form mm-hmm. of uh, data data analysis and all. Mm. And that's I've heard um, in previous interviews that you've done. I've heard this notion of of kind of having or reintroducing the concept and the popularity of single player esports. Um, yeah. And that again, it seems it seems to be something that is. Although I've only really um, seen that mentioned in more recent interviews, it is when you go back and look. Like it's something that you guys have been doing for a long time. Um, and is that how kind of key? Is that to to sort of the house mark identity? How how important is for you is it for you guys to have these games that that work in that capacity? And and what does I guess what does that even mean for you? What are sort of the core elements that need to be there for it to be considered kind of a, a single player esports experience? Well, I, you know, it all stems from that arcade experience of the past, and I think that that's really the model we we're trying to emulate, uh, where you can have casual uh, players come in and enjoy the experience, but then the hardcore gamers can can really compete on a whole different level. Um, mm-hmm. We try to cater to to all spectrum of, of the, the player bases, and I think that in the end, it's a, it's a it might be even a bit more of a challenge to um, to make the game more accessible. And for example, how do you make a competitive game for every player? Um, because the leaderboard only has so many top positions. Um, so in the end, you know, for us, single-player esports or this whole uh, new competitive scene, uh, we're trying to, you know, make slight adjustments to our our, our uh, formula and, and see how it could cater to these players. And we know that there's always going to be that really tight top 10 or top 100 amount of players, um, but then we try to switch the formula and we try to also make it more competitive between you and your friends or, or your bracket of, of, of skilled players. So in the end, we're also kind of adjusting our formula a little bit. Yeah, I think we have, you know, for this game, I think we have used most efforts, the biggest effort to facilitate this, uh, you know, doing all the features that back, back this up. <clears throat> you know that you can have a server, server, you know, save uh, records of your gameplay to the servers and things like that. So I think uh, we've used quite a lot of effort, but I think we haven't haven't really emphasized this uh, in our messaging just recently. Mm-hmm. You need to have the players to love the game, go through the challenges, and then then you can start to build something more. So players would need to embrace this and. If we try to facilitate this as good, given the resources and time and money we have, we are, have been able to facilitate this, so so we'll just mm. see that what is the interest there, and uh, and we we know something something from our past like Resogun challenges, you know, sort of pre-indicative, you know, thing that we did, and there were some people embracing this. But let's see. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's based on the gamers. I and suppose. this is this is the first time we we have uh, the IP on our own, so we can actually start catering different player preferences and keep continuing making content if the players 
um, you know, show their demand for that. So uh, it's a it's a it's a more of an open book from here on out. That's a very insightful way of looking at it. That that you can have all of these features and you can have all of these kind of these systems set up to facilitate it, but without the players buying into it, then I guess it, you know it doesn't really mean anything. And it, it sounds like you guys are completely aware of that. You have to have the players playing the game and loving the game to want to compete in that in that way. Um, one of the things that I've just, one of the, the sort of small points of that that I've noticed playing the game over, over the last couple of days is the, and that I particularly appreciate, is the um, the way that it will kind of pick out a, a rival for you or just say that this person who's a few places above you on the leaderboard, you know, try and beat their score and, and you'll be you'll get some small reward for that and, and just see how you can sort of compare to them. And that's something I think that, is very important for people like me who are very, very average players. Like it's, I can play the game, really enjoy it, but I know as soon as I go online or I look at somebody else's high scores, I'm going to be like, <laughs> I'm just going to get destroyed. Yeah. So to have that, bringing it to a much more kind of personal, localized level of, well, just try and beat this person who's a few places above you makes, like that makes a huge amount of sense. Exactly. Is that, yeah. Yeah, is that a lot of work to kind of? Is that a well, lot of intern, internal work to get that working on the leaderboard side? It's a bit newer to us. We haven't had that to uh, this extent before. And in the end, if you look at arcades of the past, for example, you could be the best player of Robotron in the world, or you could be the best player of Robotron in the in the local arcade. And there's mm. there's a very di- distinctly different uh, competitive <laughs> level to to each of these. And I think that that's something that then works as incentive for for everybody, really. Um, personally, I'm clearly not as good as a lot of the even players here or on the in the community. So for me, it makes a big difference. And I think um, that's a good starting point. How do we cater to all kinds of players? Because in the end, you do want to compete, but it needs to be realistic uh, pursuit um, of those high scores. So and against that's something that we would like to improve upon going down the line. So uh, if we do get to continue this journey, I think that that's one of the things that we want to uh, keep in mind when designing new types of challenges and, and tournaments and things like that. Yeah, we certainly would like to highlight these unbelievable skilled players who can do <laughs> unbelievable attack, unbelievable moves and, you know, as you say, the scores that these guys can Guys can do because of all the all the multiple multiple multiplier systems and bonuses and whatnots. It's like you can't even comprehend how on earth this guy could do that. <laughs> so, but but we we give you the tools now so, so the big people can figure it out by just watching the best players' video feedback and think, oh, okay, oh, there's a secret there. Oh, mm, he's maintaining mm. his combo throughout the whole world. Oh, <laughs> he had. <laughs> Oh, he used this weapon to wipe out wipe out this section, and then he changed this other weapon. So, yeah. well, so, that's one of the things yeah. that maybe wasn't uh, as as apparent that if you go to a leaderboard, there's a there's an option to to watch every single one of these um, scores being played out. Um, mm. So again, this is hopefully catering to the Twitch and the YouTube generation, really. Welcome to the Indie by Design podcast halftime show in which I'm rocking a footlong hot dog and a novelty beer hat. If you're interested in gaining more insight into game design and game designers, 
be sure to check out our website, indiebydesign.net, where you'll find more episodes of the Indie by Design podcast, as well as our book available for purchase, and much more besides. If you have suggestions, questions, or feedback on the podcast, you can tweet us at Indie by Design, or get in touch via facebook.com slash indiebydesign. If you like what we're doing and have time to leave us a short review on your podcast platform of choice, that would be very much appreciated. You can also check out what we're doing over at patreon.com slash indiebydesign and directly help us to make this podcast better, as well as bag some additional patron-only content. On to the second part of our discussion with the housemark duo now, and we pick up with CEO Ilari Kutanin explaining in more detail what it means for his studio to be working on a game that is entirely their own with which to fail or to succeed. Obviously, this is, a, this is a big moment for us as we are able now to launch a game of our own as well. So we've been trying to trying to get to this point for for many many years, and now finally the timing was right, and we could we could pursue this own own uh, dream, if you like. And uh, always, it's it's very important that if you, especially if you get get some uh, some success, it helps you to to move forward and think about the next. Next things as well, so oh. so that there's kind of a, quite many layered <laughs> things that that may happen, and you know allow to you know create maybe new stuff, and especially obviously allow would allow us to continue developing further further next machina, for instance. Mm. But always we don't know that yet if it's <laughs> successful or not. So so, but in theory. In theory, at least we we kind of have proven that we can do a game of our own, and we are able to publish out there. And uh, I believe that at least some of the reviews are really favorable. So uh, I think that we can be really proud of what we have achieved. Yeah. It's it's a very it's a very much more of a personal thing in, yeah. in a sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, we just don't know. One one interesting thing I've been thinking about that this might be last of its kind. In a way that uh, always we we are asked for for these kind of a games. Uh, it all depends on if there's a big enough audience. Mm. Mm. And uh, always our games uh, on PlayStation will be widely distributed, for instance, because of uh, PS Plus. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other side is that the commercial and financial success is kind of a diminished. Mm. In that sense, so so how to give this, how to get enough resources to build something like this? Uh, this is still, even though it's a small game, it's still a relatively big game for for this kind of a genre. And mm. uh, we've been always carrying the torch and trying to trying to move this forward and move move this genre forward and tell people that these are great games that more people should enjoy them. And uh, again, we're trying to do that. Let's see how how successful we are. Well, like, yeah, I mean, and I think that the what strikes me about Next Machina is that it looks, and this is a very simplistic way of, I guess, of viewing it from an outside perspective. But when you see games that are made in conjunction with a publisher, um, so you know, many of your previous games, Alienation, Resogun, um, both with with Sony, and now this is your own project from the ground up, there. You can still see the the polish is still very much there. That everything is there that you, I guess, would expect of a housemark game, even though 
um, and again, this is sort of the the simplistic bit. Even though it's like the money from from Sony or however these agreements usually work hasn't been there to to sort of prop you up. I guess it's like there hasn't been any corners cut. There hasn't been any um, there hasn't been a loss of production value. Or I mean, if anything, it's it's the most it's the most gorgeous game you guys have made. I think it's like it's a you, I think you've gone from strength to strength. There hasn't been any dip just because you've you've kind of done this all yourself. So, I think in that sense, yeah, you should absolutely be be very proud of it. And I, I think I feel like you know it's just my opinion, but I feel like a lot of people will respond very well to it. I think there's there's going to be a lot of streamers streaming it, and there's going to be a lot of videos on it. And I think it will be one of those kind of a bit like Resogun. It will be one of those that is um, talked about for quite a long time. Um, and Let's that, hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because and, and like you mentioned, I mean, like PS Plus has been a big part of of the release of some of your games, and I guess that why well, does that kind of limit the does that limit the um, the risk, but it also limits kind of how much you can actually get out of it in terms of, I guess, in just in terms of sort of the the financial side, like it's it's some somebody else's money, I guess. So it's like you're, you're not going to be able to. Um, Kind of, if it's hugely successful, that's not necessarily you reaping all of the benefits of that. Right. So in the end, yeah, the financial potential plays a big part. Uh, none of us have Ferraris yet. <laughs> and, and I think the big, big part is also that even though our, you know, we we are having a superstar as HD ten year anniversary at the end of the month, mm-hmm. so yeah. which, which started our journey journey to do these console downloadable games and. All the, all the Sony stuff. Uh, so, so we've been on this on this road for a quite a while, quite a while. But, but I think what we actually haven't had yet is a is a commercial hit. Mm. It is if you think of it that they've been you know in their own niche they've been one of the most successful games, but not really a mainstream games at all. And meaning that means also that the commercial upside it has been limited. So we certainly hope that this this time around, you know, all the fans that have been playing, the millions of people who have played our games, at least a fairly big part of those would eventually <laughs> buy buy this buy these games. Just not just wait for the PS Plus, <laughs> which, which is probably not gonna come at least not very very <laughs> very short short period of the time. So so we so so that is you know. That's just uh, that's just what it, how it is, and that's why I, I kind of uh, think that this might be the last of its kind. That we just need to say that you can't do this polished uh, arcade experience for these markets because there are no players who are willing to pay pay for it. Or we can find that we finally got the audience. So so that is. Uh, that is relevant, and especially when we own the IP, as mentioned earlier, it's a possibility, it's a possibility that we kind of reap the benefits and mm. can move forward. And the thing is, I have to add here, Ilari and the guys have been going this uh, flame uh, strong and started since 23 years ago, and we've we've created a an awesome community of developers here, and we want to continue to uh, expand on that, uh, the kind of family that we have here in-house. And uh, hopefully with this kind of games, hopefully uh, also different kind of games. So in the end, there's a continuity that we would love to. So this is a little 
step out of our comfort zone, but mm. hopefully it returns the favor and we can uh, keep on doing this kind of stuff more and more. Definitely. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, that's the, the key thing, I guess, because people who are buying this are directly supporting you guys. Um, none of that money is going to a publisher. They're directly supporting you guys to to hopefully gather momentum and keep doing what you're doing. And I think, you've, as I mentioned, you've proven, I think, with doing this one from scratch, that it's not a, you know, there's no there's no luck involved. There's no, it's not just, oh, because they've partnered with Sony, that's why these games are so polished or so, um, so deep or, or why there are so many different ways to play them. It's that that's just, it seems to be, that's just what you guys do. And so hopefully you'll, uh, you'll reap the, the benefits of that. Um, but yeah, like you say, <laughs> we shall see, but I hope that's, that's yeah, the way it exactly. goes. Yeah. <laughs> So a couple of just a couple more things I think one of the the things is is about Resogun because it's not just the um it's not just each launch of a game that gets talked about with you guys so Resogun came out obviously at the beginning of the PS4's life cycle and was a very big title like it was talked about very very um very well lots of very good review scores it became kind of a for a lot of people i think it became sort of an unexpected hit of the ps4's um launch period but then you also revisited resogun when you did the um the ps4 pro patch or the not just ps4 pro but the that's what it was ostensibly for the ps4 pro um update which brought extra yeah, <laughs> extra lighting, extra visuals, lots of voxels, all of that stuff, um, and that was that was very well talked about as well. Like it was, it wasn't just something that it was. It clearly didn't just take five minutes to you know press some buttons and, and upgrade the whole thing. When you going into that, how did you realize it was going to be sort of quite as bigger project as it ended up being? Were, were you were your architects and engineers sort of quite clear that it was going to take a lot of work to to get the most out of it, or kind of did it just start as a well we'll start playing with this and and we'll see what happens? I guess we had a kind of a different uh, amount of time in our in our heads at how how many man man months it's gonna gonna take and and that's uh, that's actually the the amount of man months we we had at our disposal but we try to try to use all the resources smartly and uh, and uh, guys you know it wasn't without challenges for sure so uh it's not as you said it's not to say straightforward to, to just to press a button mm-hmm. and something mm-hmm. come out but you need to do some re-engineering and all that sort of a sort of a thing so so yeah, but I guess it's it's been that part of the quality bar we want to maintain and, mm. and maybe maybe push push further further higher up as well. So that's that's related relates to this, and uh, you know you just wish that obviously more and more people would would enjoy this. I, don't, I really don't know how many people have or enjoyed the PS PS4 mm. Pro. Pack. Or even HDR, you know, the, even the normal normal kind of uh, basic PlayStation 4 can have the HDR mode mm-hmm. there. So that's, uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, kind of we want to maintain that that quality quality there for, mm. for what we do. And you were because you also did a, I think you were talked about in the same sort of way when you did the um, the Super Stardust. Uh, 
3D update as well. Like that was, I think that was very well received. And it, it seems to be something that you guys pride yourselves on. Like you don't seem to do anything um, half-assed. Like you don't do anything just well. We'll chuck a couple of weeks at this and see what happens. Like every every one of your every one of your games, everything that you sort of put yourselves into seems to be very um, kind of all or nothing. Like there's no sort of just. That's the reputation we also carry, mm. um, especially now if we get to venture a bit more into self-publishing. Uh, it'd be, uh, you know, to tarnish a 23-year-old company's reputation. <laughs> There's a little bit 22, of... by the way. No, no, third, no. It's... 22 is now, 23rd year. 23rd, okay, sorry. Yeah. 23rd year is starting now. Then a 95. My bad, my 2017. bad. 2017. <laughs> but a 23rd year that is starting now. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> on, on June. Well, yeah, basically now. Yeah, yeah. basically it's on. Okay, yeah. that's right, that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's something that really... Um, and, and also, I think, you know, a lot of the history, because a lot of um, the people who work here, we grew up with these games, too. So, mm-hmm. that is the, the reputation that we want to uphold and the, the brand that these guys have been able to get together and, and uphold. I think there's a little bit of this patriotic attitude, like... Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this is housemark we're talking about. We can't, we can't f it up. So, uh, <laughs> it's funny how it goes from generation to another, and uh, at least to many of us who who have uh, the option to work here, um, we take that with pride. Yeah, but I have to say, there's a price to pay. There's a lot of pain involved, or <laughs> another. So we might not be kind of uh, the most profitable company because of that, <laughs> to put it mildly. But then again. <laughs> yeah, because we just kind of want to spend whatever we can to make them make games as good as, as, as possible. So the game is the game is king. As the game is say. king. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, that, um, yeah, like you say, that it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of money to invested to, to create titles to the level that you guys do and I guess I mean I, I guess for for those of you who have come on board over those 22 years going into to 23 um, I guess that's also just part of what attracted you to the company in the first place right Mikhail like that that's why uh, it's part of why you want to work there because it's a quality a quality place to work absolutely and I, I remember specifically when I when I had that notion of um, um, <laughs> listening to one of the Finnish bands Apulanda on on the soundtrack and uh, and mm-hmm. I remember thinking to this there's an office somewhere in Helsinki with guys that make this and talk to this band and got that on the soundtrack and I played previous Housemark games but that was the first realization and I don't know if subconsciously it stemmed me to <laughs> to to try try to come closer to this but yeah I th- so that was like 15 years ago, you talked yeah. about transfers. Yeah, morning, that's, that's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, at least personally, I feel that there's a, um, a certain responsibility and and uh, an and honor in that. And uh, uh, like I said, it's it's for 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 me and the rest of us to mess that up. So, <laughs> see, let's yeah. see. And as the, I, I believe, is your job title head of? Publishing, publishing yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it really is, uh, really yeah, is on you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's no, it's no very, so simple as that. It's it's very very clear uh, <laughs> role. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's going to be very easy to draw the line back to uh, to somebody's desk if, if oh, things go oh. wrong. Yeah. I'm aware, or the lack of desk. Is <laughs> but no, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it won't come to that. I mean, is this is it something? I don't know how much you guys have talked about it already, and, and even how much you're talking about it um, publicly now, because Next Machina is is you know is only just releasing. We're sort of on the verge of it being out there, so it's. This this is perhaps a future thing, but are you guys looking to spread more into sort of the PC space? Is that is that being on kind of Steam, and is that something that you'd like to to do more of with more more of your future titles, but also more of your back catalogue as well? And maybe that's not possible with certain publisher-owned titles. But is is there sort of a do you have a desire to kind of just be more present in the PC space. Absolutely, I think that in the end, it's uh, it's about uh, reaching out to um, as many players as we can. Mm. Um, usually, there's a benefit of of working with the the best uh, in business, and I think um, currently PlayStation Four and, and PC are are very 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 good platforms to to get the game out on and. Uh, Hopefully we can even do more in the future, who knows. But uh, with the current situation, um, I think we're quite happy with expanding to, to you know, PC platforms. So Yeah, we definitely have looked at that for many, many years. And obviously it has exploded during, <laughs> you'd say it's quite a lot exploded during the development of Next mm-hmm. you know, the Probably two-thirds of the uh, PC Steam games out there are have actually been published during the time we've been developing this game. <laughs> So, so, but, but it feels like uh, there's a, you know, PC. Obviously, it's always been like dead as a platform once in a while. So it's it's interesting that it still maintains to be there. And we started out as a, as a PC developer, but it's uh, since '99 with Super Nobody, we haven't really done launched, any any launched, yeah. any launch any any mm. new games uh, on the on the platform. So uh, so that's. Uh, Interesting to come back <laughs> to where we where we started this this journey, and uh, I believe that this PC platform is going to be a huge part of a part of the future as well. Mm. I mean, it, it does it in because it has been so long since you since you were looking at the PC as a as a viable option. Um, does it feel like just starting completely? And you, like, does it does it actually feel like you are coming back to it, or does it feel like you're just starting again completely because it's been so long and so much has changed? Namely, Steam, of course. I mean, that's probably the big the biggest change. But is it like a, I don't know, like it just feels like a whole new thing that you have to learn and get your heads around? Well, <laughs> well, you could say yes and no. And uh, the wise wise no is that we we obviously develop on PCs. Our games have been. Mm. Been you know run running on PCs all the time during these the, over, over these years, but they've mm. been would be published on on basically on console platforms earlier. So uh, and yes, it's it's very nice to come back. To it. We it is the kind of a still it is now it is sort of a new again because we haven't published and Steam. Steam, Steam. During this ten years, we've been basically concentrating on digitally downloadable console games. Steam has come along, been a new, and we've been looking at that for for many, many years. But the, as mentioned earlier, the opportunity now is is for us to actually come back. Mm. 
something else you mentioned then I think talking about kind of the the housemark uh, style the housemark branding the, the kind of that that almost patriot patriotism <laughs> and that's something that I mean you guys are in a quite a vibrant um, development scene over there in Finland there's a lot going on there's a lot of company very well-known companies even I guess they're probably not that far from you I, I would imagine um, and is that I mean how is that something that's something that's changed over the last perhaps 20 odd years that you guys have been around and and, and how what changes have you seen in the local development scene and, and are, are things a lot more kind of uh, well I guess a lot more healthy now right yeah yeah well Bigger parties. Uh, it is the well, that, that too, <laughs> but you know what a change has, it has been. Like uh, I could say that in '95, you know, we were the first one to, to incorporate ourselves, and Remedy followed quite soon. So in '95, we probably had 20, 30 guys doing mm. games in in Finland, and now there are like 3,000 people. So the, the the change has been tremendous, and obviously most of most of it. Most of the big developments obviously, obviously has happened uh, on the mobile scene. You know, mm-hmm. we have the, the leading mobile gaming company here in Finland, like Supercell, and before that, obviously, Rovio was a big thing. And mm. Yeah, several other others as well. And uh, and you know, the long-standing kind of a console side side uh, console gaming game developers like Remedy, obviously, try uh, try us develop Red Links. We have Frozen Bytes, so we have quite interesting scene here and uh, we are sort of being being quite unique in that in that crowd so that's been kind of a benefit for us as well that if people want to do and develop games that are not mobile games or not big story games or you know not uh, trials they come to (laughs) us to ask for a job so so if they want to kind of participate in, in this but, family. But still, it's funny how everything's grown so much. Yeah. And still there seems to be a very, uh, well, I think there's more competition for, for uh, you know, talented, very sure. skillful uh, workers. And that's the, it goes with the territory. Yeah. But, yeah, actually, actually I think the point is, point is you know, also making, making probably is that we have a very, very fl- friendly uh Environment here, even though we compete uh, from great great talent, but we still share quite a lot of information. There's there's the most busiest IGDA chapter every month here in Helsinki. There's uh, all sort of collaboration at the association level. So that, small, that's small been, countries. So that's yeah, that's been quick, quick, uh, quite a big benefit. And I think someone yeah. has even commented that there's no nowhere else in the world you have this. This sort of a thing. Well, that, and that's the. I mean, you mentioned there lots of companies who do all do quite different things, as you said, and they are uh, many of them are big names, very well known for their certain genre or their certain style of game, or or even just the platforms that they develop them for. Is there? Can there be much sort of? Um, sort of skill sharing or much kind of conversation, much consultation between you when you all do such different things? Do the conversations kind of take place on a kind of a higher level rather than the sort of the details of how to do, how to, I don't know, work with certain engines? Is it sort of more of a an overarching um, relationship that you have with some of these developers? Well, there are always platforms that cater, cater for different uh, different things. So there are these kind of gatherings of, 
of like executive breakfast where we can try to try to uh, share best practices and, mm. Mm. and share experiences and and that that's that's that is what is uh, been, been really good about this uh, community that especially you know companies top level are pretty open to discuss quite a quite a even even intimate things mm. experience and then there's the IGDA, IGDA events that is kind of a colliding different developers against uh, to talk with with each other so 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 they're kind of different kind of forums and I'm sure they they talk about nitty gritty details of how to make the pixel move better <laughs> as, as well <laughs> so uh, and obviously you know there's still enough People are doing PC-based stuff or console-based stuff or mobile-based stuff that they can find a platform or people who are tackling with the similar similar problems that, that like we do. Cool. Okay. Uh, and I guess just as a final thing, um, so you mentioned you've got the launch party next Wednesday. Is that? That's correct. Uh, yeah, we. Yeah. Um, and so, I guess, just as a sort of a, an overview, what what do you think you guys are going to be once the game's out and and all the review scores are out, which I think is actually starting to happen even as we speak. Um, but like, how do you see your your week ahead? How do you kind of see that? So, so out? we're gonna no matter how it goes, bottles will be opened. <laughs> Different reasons, but still way. <laughs> No, I think I think we're gonna enjoy ourselves. Uh, next weekend is the finished midsummer, which one of the uh, more more appreciated summer vacation type things. And uh, mm. and then uh, you know after that, uh, you know July is a huge month for us in terms of summer vacation in general. So it's gonna be nice to take some time off, uh, rewind a little bit, and refresh, and then mm. just uh, get ready for the next venture. Really. Yeah, what we know for sure is Eugene Jarvis is is coming next week, and we finalized the document. Documentary. <laughs> so that's that's what we we know for sure. No uh, more, no more cameras and mics. Exactly. So, so uh, that's that's kind of another story than when that launches, but. Um, yeah, I mm. hope I hope uh, at least I feel that we're gonna be pretty pretty. Pleased with the you know uh, media reception. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing. Do scared to think about this commercial <laughs> side of it all because there's, there's so many unknowns. Really, you can't really find any corresponding like similar games. Mm-hmm. Basically, well, there's a, there's a lot of similar, but yeah, then but, still yeah, not to not the really. yeah. and how they have done. And obviously, Steam has changed over the even during the past yeah. year, so so how how people find your game is is, is still a question mark. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give grab a beer after this and yeah. look at the Metacritic going. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a dangerous game to sit there and keep refreshing, watching yeah. that Metacritic. Hopefully, go up, up and up and up. We'll, we'll um, probably be outside when the sun is still out, and then uh, and then uh, somebody's gonna call us uh, either way. So. <laughs> For more on games and game creators, visit IndieByDesign.net. Follow IndieByDesign on Twitter, Facebook and on YouTube by searching IndieByDesign. We will also find a full walkthrough of Next Machina. 
Do also consider nipping over to patreon.com slash design to see what we have going on over there and to bag yourself some additional podcast content as well as get the warm, fuzzy glow of helping us make this podcast even better. Indie by Design podcast episodes are released every Wednesday and we hope to have you back here next week. The music used in this episode is owned and provided by Ben Prunty. Ben Prunty.